Hello, and welcome back to Rehydrate. This season, we'll be reading and discussing Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. This is Season 6, Episode 9, The Search by the Foundation, covering Part 2, Chapters 15 to 22 of Second Foundation by Isaac Asimov. The hosts all have varying levels of knowledge of this series. My name is Dan, and I have only read up to this part. My name is Talia. I have read The Gods Themselves by Isaac Asimov, but this is my first read-through of The Foundation. My name is Priya, and I have only read up to this part, and um, I have watched the whole first season of the TV show. Well, before we get started, I just wanted to give a quick update on the show. So we are still deciding what we're going to do after this series. The series is ending. This is the last part of Second Foundation and of the trilogy, so we're still deciding on what we're going to do next, and so we'll have updates um, coming soon, hopefully. But we are going to have some interviews coming up soon, so please uh, stay tuned for that. It should be interesting listening. A little bit of history for this part of the book. As mentioned last time, this the this book or this section was actually split into three sections uh, in the Astounding Science Fiction magazine uh, over November nineteen twenty November nineteen forty nine December nineteen forty nine and January nineteen fifty. And those dates will become important, I think, later on as we get into the discussion when they were published. Um, but I have all the links to the original um, magazines that are on archive.org. It's really cool. Uh, you should check it out. Some cool artwork in there. Okay, so for the summary for this episode, we start with Arcadia staring at a ticket machine, eventually decides to return to her birth planet of Trantor, since she feels that returning to Terminus might not be safe. When making her way to the ship, she runs into another couple from Trantor, referred to as Papa and Mama, who are happy to see another Trantorian, and when they find that she is in danger, do what they can to protect Arcadia, including bribing Lieutenant Dirige when uh, the police search the spaceport for Arcadia. The bribe apparently works, and Arcadia is off the Trantor. On Terminus, Dr. Durrell is working with his colleague, Semic, to try to obtain a large quantity of hyperwave relays for something that Dr. Durrell is trying to build. Meanwhile, Palas Anthor tries to convince Dr. Durrell to return to Trantor to get Arcadia and introduces him to his agent on Calgan, Lieutenant Dirige, who was the last person to see Arcadia there. Dr. Durrell refuses to leave, saying that this is just what the Second Foundation would expect him to do. Back on Trantor, Arcadia tries to maneuver Papa, aka Prem Pulver, to return to Terminus under the guise of making a trade deal for the farming goods that Pulver can supply. But her actual intention is for him to deliver a five-word message to her father. Pulver ultimately agrees, but he is apprehended by the Foundation ships that are in the middle of a battle with Calgan. Lord Stettin and Calgan are lured into a trap that ultimately wins the war for the Foundation. After the war is over, Pulver makes his way to Terminus to deliver a message, and Homer Munn is finally released from captivity to deliver the peace offering from Calgan, all the while believing he knew the true location of the Second Foundation. A few months later, the original group of conspirators returned to Dr. Durrell's house. Terminus might have beaten Calgan, but the Second Foundation is still the same problem. Homer Munn tells them that he has found the truth on Calgan, that there is no Second Foundation. Anther refuses to accept this and asks them all to go under brainwave analysis to find that Homir has been tampered with. Anthor then gives his theory of where the Second Foundation is actually located, on Calgan. The Calganian War was just a ruse to throw the people off the trail. Dr. Durrell has another theory, one developed from the message that Arcadia sent, a circle has no end. From that, Dr. Durrell deduced the mystery of Star's End, which is actually just a full revolution of a circle right back on Terminus. What's more, he's developed a mental static device specifically designed to resonate with the part of the brain that second foundationers use for emotional control, and it's been installed in his house. 
Anthor asks to inspect it, but when he realizes that he's been given a dummy to control, Darrell uses it to incapacitate Anthor and verifies his long-held suspicion that Anthor himself is a second foundationer. Once Arcadia arrives back from Trantor, Darrell begins to suspect that she might have been tampered with. But after brainwave analysis, it is found that her brainwaves are exactly the same as they were before. Darrell is now satisfied that they have rooted out the entirety of the second foundation. Meanwhile, in her room, the first speaker again speaks with the student. The plan has worked. The foundation believes that they have eliminated the second foundation, and it took 50 martyrs to accomplish it. The plan has been in motion for 15 years now. From the time that Arcadia was born, they started to control her so there could be no change detected in, in her brainwave patterns. Southern's plan could again continue, all the while controlled by the first speaker, Prem Palver, from the second foundation's actual homeworld, the center of the galaxy, where all the stars end, Trantor. And the characters in this section were Prem Palver, aka Papa, a trading representative from Trantor, Mama, Palver's wife, also from Trantor, Lieutenant Orm Deridge, a Calganian police officer, Elvit Semek, colleague of Dr. Durrell, Fennel Lemor, engineer third class, volunteer in the Foundation Navy, and the returning character cast. Arkady Durrell, Dr. Durrell, Pallas Anthor, Lord Stettin, Homer Munn, and Joel Turbor. All right. Well, I think let's just go into general impressions for this chapter. So let's start with uh, Priya. Um, so I have a few notes here. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, very much rooting for Arcady to be the one who figured everything out in the end. Like, I just wanted that for her. But I was a little disappointed that she wasn't right in the end. And I think it's not just that I was disappointed that she wasn't right. It's kind of that I wanted her explanation to be the explanation for, uh, you know, where, uh, where second foundation is to me, it seemed a little more compelling than what it ended up being. Uh, that being said, uh, she was treated pretty well in the end by the first speaker when he says a word about her brilliance. Um, but it's also very sinister that she was being like mind tampered Mm -hmm. since she was from birth or maybe even before. Yeah, Uh, that is uh, that does not sit well with me. (laughs) But also, I have to say that many episodes back in the section about uh, the mule and when Magnifico was revealed to be the mule, I sort of guessed that at a certain point. But this I did not foresee at all that uh, Papa was uh, first speaker. So um, I did earlier on, like when they first introduced him, wonder if he was a second foundationer, but then he seemed kind of too goofy ultimately to be. So um, kind of dismissed that notion. And then in the end, I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I want to know what you all felt like. Were you satisfied with second foundation being revealed as being on Trantor? So so for me, I think... I don't know if I, I mean, I, I also found it, a, maybe not disappointing is too strong of a word, but it was not as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. Like I had this in my mind, like this like grand, well, I said last time that I thought maybe it was earth and like, uh, they kept mentioning earth a couple of times and I was like, oh, that's going to be it. It's going to be it. Wasn't it? But anyway, like I had like my mind, like it'd be like this really like a crazy reveal. Right. And then like the reveal that it's, it was just like uh trantor the whole time. Like, okay, well that makes sense in the, in the, in the scheme of the story. It wasn't uh it wasn't as grand as I was kind of uh, anticipating, I think. Uh, and I think, like, I, I also kind of agree about uh, Arcadia's diminished role. I mean, it is interesting that, you know, she did figure out, as far as everyone knew, uh, that the location, like, it was her it was her clue 
that uh, did find, you know, the the home of the the second foundation that everyone thought it was, you know, the, the answer that satisfied, as it were, the of, of of terminus. So it was her that did find it. So, but I don't know if that's like that was like a thing that was implanted by the second foundation into her to like say it. it's like hard to say like how much agency she had to actually like determine it because like there's so much men- mental manipulation happening. But I mean, overall, I I love this book and this this chapter. I think well, we'll get into it later, but like. Yeah, overall, I really liked it, but I did a little bit of quant. Like it was a little bit of a a downturn, I think, like a very slight downturn than the previous chapter. You know, I think that even though Magnifico being Mule was a little more predictable, I think that the reveal was still more satisfying than this reveal felt, even though it was something that you probably would not have guessed. And then there were lots of twists and turns leading to it, but it wasn't to me as satisfying as as the reveal of Magnifico being mule, like, cause that was like the big reveal. I think I know why. Yes. It was a bigger deal because he was like the primary antagonist, but I think also just his opportunity to monologue about it, like supervillain style was yeah. <laughs> at the moment, like it lets us buy in. And with these reveals, I agree with Dan disappointed is way too strong of a word for how I felt about it but I did feel like it could have been played to greater effect. And I have one recommendation for how they could have done that. It would, it would require a small spoiler for um, his dark materials, which is a fantasy trilogy as well. So feel free to skip this part, but the similar prodigy chosen child, the Arcady role is occupied by a girl named Lyra Balacqua. And she's the target of a prophecy and her role in uncovering that is that she believes that she has uncovered it and therefore the prophecy is moot. But in fact, the prophecy requires her to think that she has uncovered it. So it does give her some agency while still making her the target of this sinister deception, but still enables her as a character a lot more. And I think that introducing more agency into Arcadia as opposed to just ending on the reveal that she's been controlled would be a stronger end for for second foundation however i definitely don't have quibbles with the way that this was wrapped up and i did really find this a satisfying and enjoyable read yeah definitely i mean i think like i think maybe one of the things that irked me was i mean like that that like i hate to use these strong words right it's like i really liked it you know it's just like in mm-hmm. comparison to the previous ones like so all of my comments are couched in that. Like I, 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 I did like it, um, but like especially when Arcadia came back to um, to Terminus, like I felt like her role, like she wasn't as strong when she came back, right? Like she could have had like more stuff to do. She was just like afraid about the uh, the brainwave scan and like the what's going to happen afterwards, and like if she was manipulated, like what's going to happen? Well, they could use that to their advantage again if they show that like when you're a child, which she is in the beginning, like you're passionate and you're full and you're curious and everything is available to you and things come like magic, but it does say that she does transform to a young woman. And that's something she's always been wanting like to be seen as older, but you could also ground that in reality and show like, here's some of the melancholy of inhabiting an adult role in the universe. Um, Things are harder for you. You're scared of more things. You are diminished. So I didn't mind that too much. But was she more i mean it seemed like she was less confident when she got back you know yeah like, exactly when she was like on 
on uh, Calgon. She was like super confident, like, you know, I'm going to, you know, have all these plans. I'm going to execute them. It's all going to go my way. You know, everyone's dumb. <laughs> like, I, I, I figured it all out. And then she comes back and it's like, oh, I don't, you know, I wasn't manipulated. Uh, I think I was manipulated or whatever. Like, I hope I'm not manipulated. Well, and there's not, there wasn't much. <laughs> Her her over spunk, you know, was, was didn't seem to be there as, as it was before. Not to hit the comparison too hard, but I did find the exact same transformation happens when Lyra comes back, like after having gone on the hero's journey. And for her, it's returning to something that she used to do with such skill. It was like, oh, like not a superpower in that fantasy sense, but something she picked up very, very easily, very skillfully as a child. And then she goes through this experience and comes back a young woman. And suddenly she's like, oh, wait, to get good at this, I have to like read and learn and it will be mm-hmm. slow and plotting. And I can't do it with that childlike brilliance that I once had. Uh, we also don't know what happens to like, we don't, like, I think like the story for Arcadia just stops, right? Like, you know, she wants to be called Arcadia now and that's, that's fine. Then there's the evolution in her character. Like she, she asked her dad to, to start calling her that. Because like, and we know that she wants to be a writer, and I think the, the Encyclopedia um, Galactica says as much that she becomes a writer about the, the the mule or the this this part of this part of history. Anyway, like, but we don't the there's like seems like a gap in between there that would have like the seed filled in a little bit more. Yeah, I was gonna go back to um, what Talia was saying. Um, it, it is sort of like a bittersweet coming of age story. So that part I do buy. Like, it is sad that she loses some of that. Um, spunky character um, traits that that, you sh- that she uh, embodies in the in the early, but it, it's it's kind of like you lose some of your um, starry eyed sort of um, sense that you have when you go about the world as a child, and then you come out into the real world and you see like y- she ultimately is faced with matters that she believe have to do with life and death, and mm-hmm. when she sends Papa off to um, she sent him to Terminus, right? Term- Terminus, yes. yeah. Um, so when she sends Papa off to Terminus, she's like, I really hope that I haven't signed his death warrant by sending him. And I think that's a lot of weight for a child to carry on their shoulders. Just that sense that like, I could be responsible for someone losing their life. Um, and it's yeah. really unfortunate because all of these feelings that she's having are due to events that have sort of been orchestrated and predetermined in a sense. So of course she comes back with like less of that starry eyed sense that she had before and more of that, like, you know, she's had such a dose of reality. So, so that part felt kind of the most um, believable to me that she would come back changed. And it's like, like a mini coming of age story, like rolled into this, uh, where this little story of her in here. Yeah. And I think I also mentioned last time, like we, I had some crazy theories around Dr. Drell himself, like in his lack of emotions, but like his emotions really seem to come out in this one. Like, especially like when, um, when Anthor tells him that the, the lieutenant was the last person to see her, and he's like, "What? So, so I see her? Why is she dead? You know, you tell me, tell me, tell me." I, I, I guess it was like his lack of emotions was kind of calculated because he he um, he suspected Anthor the entire time, you know, and was and, and trying to play it play it against that, and so that's why he was kind of suppressing his emotions and uh, his, especially outwardly. So yeah, I guess my our, our theories of him being a robot <laughs> or whatever were, were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that the Selden Crisis uh, does appreciate when the hosts of this show are wrong about things. So 
there's some yeah there's some comments i did i think jokingly comment i think it was on priya's note about Darrell's suggestion for like the human race and separating the sexes so he's sort of emotionless in his policy suggestion so we were kind of right he is a robot kind of (laughs) (laughs) or he's just like a really dislikable guy like well why don't you read the quote that proves it priya Okay. Uh, he says, I don't know, said Durrell sadly. We could exile them, I suppose. There's Zoranel, for instance. They can be placed there and the planet saturated with mind static. The sexes can be separated or, better still, they can be sterilized. And in 50 years, the second foundation will be a thing of the past or perhaps a quiet death for all of them would be kinder. And... Um, my notes on that was, oh, Dr. Durrell, father, scholar, and advocate for genocide. <laughs> Just casual, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, this this part, and this is a whole bunch of parts in this this section that reminded me of, and, and what I mentioned before around the time period, this was written in the late, you know, the late 40s, early 50s. So this is yeah. right after World War II. And it so there's so much not like- to mention how much World War II imagery is in this. There's so much. Like, and so like, this is like right out of like, like, concentration camp stuff right like mm-hmm. they're just rounding up psycho auditioners and you know sterilizing them gassing and, them and, and sterilizing them yeah yeah so that's it's straight out of there the one thing that like when i was reading it that struck me uh originally it was that um one quote it says uh, dr drawler turned to terminus some weeks after vk day and that's super specific to to world war ii kind of thinking with the uh, ve day and vj day <laughs> So it's interesting that they he put it in there just from a, like a historical perspective. Like maybe that was just common back then for people. Because now it feels like, like, what are you talking about? I guess I watched a lot of World War II stuff back in the day. So Oh, and also, um, I don't know. I, I just wanted to say one more thing about that, like the World War II imagery, um, specifically in terms of uh, the point you raised, Dan, about um, this reference to like, you know, this concentration campy uh, sterilizing notion that like someone who is kind of like just a like not not directly um, uh, he's not like a soldier in war. He's not directly involved in the war um just a casual person saying this in in that manner kind of is reminiscent of how you had a lot of people like in nazi germany people who like like the guards who worked at the concentration camps and stuff like they i I think if you guys have watched the movie the reader um you get a sense in that movie that like these were just like ordinary people who were made to think horrible horrible things and commit horrible acts and this just reminded me of that because it's like as robotic as this guy is i would have to like reread i had to like reread that section to to be like oh he just like casually like threw this out there this idea that we should do this and yeah it was dark not just the content but the delivery like you say exactly yeah and the other thing that 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 reminded me, I mean, there's a whole bunch. I have I have a list here of you know. So the, one of the things that was the interviewing the soldier on the the ship Hober Mallow, um, mm. and the this the you know it's reminded me of like you know the film back home, like the old like black and white photo of like the the GIs like you know sending a message back home, and uh, you know the soldier is, is annoyed that the Calganians never seem to fight; they're always running away, and they just want to get into the fight. You know, they want to storm the beaches. I was, um, and this is a bit of a criticism, and also, like, I, I find it funny that 
that you are saying that you want to, you you don't want to use strong words like disappointed, but like, (laughs) I I don't think that there's necessarily something wrong with that because I think that um, it just goes to show that we like hold Asimov to a very high standard, you know, (laughs) Um, but like for Calgan to just kind of like, like throw their punches lightly like that was not an explanation I particularly enjoyed Um, because the explanation that's provided later by um, I think it's Maris to Lord Stetton is uh, for why Calgan was defeated is that the insubstantial fabric of the plan hangs over them so that they are cautious and look before they attack and wonder a little too much while that is plausible for some people, I feel like for for people who have that like belligerence about them, I don't see how an entire army can just kind of be so passive. Like, yes, there is the plan and yes, there is the, the sense, the notion that like foundation can't be defeated. But I feel like there would be people like realistically or entire, you know, um, armies that would definitely try, you know, like they wouldn't just be like, oh, well, we'll only attack if we see like a very high probability of success. So uh, that just seemed a little bit not very plausible to me. I don't know. Uh, I, I think it didn't bother me that much. Like, you know, the the plan is well known. It's like, it's if you were on the side, uh, like if you were fighting a war and and you knew the other side had like, god on their side or something you know <laughs> like you'd be disheartened like well you know we're probably gonna lose because yeah. they have god on their side right yeah like i, I can see them and it, and like Stedden definitely has belief in that his army can defeat them but the normal day-to-day soldiers of the, the calgan have navy defeatism yeah <laughs> and plus like there's so much turnover in the calganian uh, leadership right like they talk about like the leaders like changing all the time so here's just another guy who's coming mm-hmm. in here and now he wants to claim power for himself and he's like gonna build, like build a second foundation or a second empire and, but no one really believes it or that's the impression i got anyway so like i think that's why it didn't bother me that much yeah so i actually would have liked to hear more explanation or exposition around that that like the leadership was terrible or like the the um you know they they were disorganized but like just the fact that like the plan was looming over them didn't really like seem as compelling of a reason to me because like then why why have war at all right so yeah deep questions here on rehydrate (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's hard to know um yeah it would have been cool to see like uh, also at the similar interview with a um the Calganian, you know, naval officer or whatever, or naval person, and like an average day-to-day person working on on one of the ships. Uh, I, I thought that was a cool kind of yeah. point of view thing. I enjoyed that because yeah. I love how like chipper he was. He was like, "Hey, like I didn't even do much," you know. They kind of like just don't really attack, so it was more of a chase than a fight. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, another thing was like the just general evilness of uh, Stetton and Calganians as a, as a whole was kind of were, were kind of uh characterizes more evil not evil but Stetton definitely was <laughs> and so that's obviously a reminiscent of, of of the nazis in uh in world war ii uh you know they're seen as this big gigantic evil force in, in war and then the peace treaty that they signed was on a remote asteroid reminded me of uh japan signing the uh peace treaty not peace treaty but the the surrender the surrender the articles the of surrender surrender on, yeah exactly yeah whatever it was called but you know they, they yeah the the emperor on the on the the uss missouri signing the the, the document um yeah that famous picture there 
Um, and the quote was, the war was formerly ended on an asteroid in Terminus's own stellar system, site of the Foundation's oldest naval base. So that just reminded me of that. And I think that was, that was about, and then also yeah, the, the concentration camp stuff was, I had that in too. But yeah, so just like the, it's like written very much in the time of uh, very shortly after World War II. And, mm-hmm. you know, that being definitely prevalent in people's head, I'm sure. So the next thing I had was the nature of the Psycho Foundation's mental abilities. Um, so the quote that kind of struck this in my mind was, uh, I don't know, I think it's developed through long training. Since there are incantations from encephalography that the potentialities of it are latent in the human mind. So I guess like the question is like, is the 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 power of the second foundation, is it learned or is it uh, inherited? Like, is it grown in your brain? It seems kind of a combination of both, right? Because like, well, I don't know, like, this it's, it's hard to know right out of like Frank Herbert and like how he speaks about prescience is like, well, it's latent in some humans yeah. and then the spice just like jacks it up. So I thought that was very reminiscent. What do you think? And, and yeah, me, uh, th- that could be it. Um, that it's, yeah. Cause they talk about that too. Like everyone has the kind of ability to do this. It's just like, they need to have a mutation, you know, like the mule did or, you know, like um, learn it by communicating with other people who have developed that. Um, uh, that skill right and so they kind of like show them and that's why they have students um in the working for the second foundation to kind of learn that skill and as they do learn that skill then they can become uh, speakers and you know more elevated in that society it definitely seems like something that can be fostered in a pedagogical sense because if you had to rely on a mutation that they spent all of the last book explaining to us was so rare and once in a generation or even rarer than that then yeah, it would be yeah. hard for the plan to continue. So I did like the way that that was handled. But I think of the three of us, I've always liked the sections with the speaker and the student the most. Like I would watch whole episode lengths just on that. I think that's just delightful. I kind of agree. I, I don't hate yes. the section between the speaker and the student, I have to say. Um, it's interesting because I think the reason I don't hate it is because it has written itself very well in the sense that like if someone were actually saying these things out loud it would seem like like an exhausting bit of exposition but like you're reading it knowing that this guy is not speaking it they're communicating like without speech so you're like oh well like this is just his literal stream of consciousness like passing from him to the student so all of this exposition is now okay like that's the way I saw it so I'm like okay yeah. this seems more realistic than a lot of the <laughs> same conversations that happen verbally in other sections between characters which I find more exhausting because I'm like come on like people would not talk like oh this, the encephalography so. conversations for example yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah I almost a bit much yeah, the, the the he goes the Eisenhower goes at great lengths to explain like this all happens like in a second or not even a second right it happens in an instant with like a look mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and so yeah that that's interesting uh, that you picked up on that it's all this like words are just for our benefit the reader not in, you know don't actually transpire. But to your point, Dan, there's just so much in the text that was there that I don't think any of us picked up on like the hints about the protection of Trantor and all these hints about where the second foundation truly was. Yeah. So one of the quotes that I picked up around that was, uh, then when Trantor fell and sacked and early destroyed a short century ago, we were naturally able to protect our headquarters and 
on all the planet, the Imperial Library and the grounds about it remained untouched. This was well known by the galaxy, but even that apparently was overwhelming. Even that apparently overwhelming hint passed them by. So it totally passed me by too. Like it didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that, 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 uh, that Trantor would have, been, would have been the home of the Second Foundation. Maybe because like I had in my mind the like, more grand uh, plans. And like, so like, this is like the most simple one. Uh, that's like, oh, it's just like the planet we've already, we started at, right? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. It felt very simple. Um, and uh, if I may uh, tell you all my very ridiculous theory that I had, and this was just wishful thinking really, um, that, you, you know, there's, there's a scene along like much earlier in, I think not even in this book, it may have been in uh, Foundation and Empire, where there is a character who wakes up in, in Second Foundation and has like this, like, look around and they're like, oh, this is where I am. And it seems like, like it was building up suspense that it's a very, like, it's a very special place. That's the sense that I got at least. And I was like, hmm, yeah. I started thinking like pocket universes. <laughs> if you know, you know. Yeah. So, and I honestly, if it had been pocket universe adjacent or even pocket universe, like I would not have even been mad if like Lucian just like plucked it right out of Asimov. <laughs> if that had been the case, I would have been like, brilliant, great, I love this. But alas, that's not the case. And it's just plain old Trantor. So, that that's the sense that I came away with. Oh, how quickly yeah. our sense of wonder fades! Just this intergalactic <laughs> planet. Yeah, I mean, it, it and it's crazy to me that I, you know, I didn't pick up on it. Like, I didn't pick up on anything. Like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not good at this, but like, it seems so obvious in retrospect, right? Because like, the mm-hmm. when um when Beta and um and Torin go to go to Trantor and they 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 go to the Imperial Library and it's like the only untouched thing in the whole planet, like. Of course, that's, that's where the second foundation was, and like, and then the, they're they're the whole time like manipulating the situation, uh, you know, like go, I actually like because you know, as a listeners might have noticed, like we had a couple of weeks off because of some scheduling issues. So in that time, I actually went back and um, listened to Second Foundation again, or, or not Second Foundation, uh, Foundation and Empire again, and um, and thought about it in the light of knowing that where the Second Foundation was, and thinking like, oh, they're controlling this whole situation the whole time with like Beta. And um, and Torin and Eblingness and the Mule all like you know just in that hanging out there. Meanwhile, the Second Foundation is just like around and controlling the whole situation. So it puts it in a very different light. Definitely. Here's another hole I would like to poke. There's also the problem of why were they controlling Arcady from the very beginning? Like it confuses me because like they can predict the actions of like a group of people how but they've established that they don't necessarily have the capacity to predict the actions of an individual so how is it that they plucked out arcady it was it solely based on her connection to beta is that why they thought like let's just start controlling this child from the very beginning was arcady's mother also controlled because isn't she mother or father i don't know it, it was because beta is her grandmother right yeah so like yeah. why why is it that they chose her to control uh to mind control because like how would they have known that like the in, the actions of this one individual child will be consequential later on like that seems like a bit of a like suspension of disbelief sort of moment for me 
Well, I think this, the speaker says as much, right? He said the plan is like super uh, dangerous, right? Because it's relying on one person. And I, I, my, my intent, my guess was that because they knew about Beta from the time that she had taken on a mule and on in the library and they were around. And then later on, they went back to Trantor and she happened to be there and said like, okay, well now there's, they're going to have this kid here. And we can, from you know, then the speaker from the beginning says like, all right, here's the, here's going to be the plan. And they're good at like making plans, you know, in the far future because that's the that's what the the Selden did and they they're following up on those footsteps so they are all right so now we have a, a, a little kid so we can control her your brain waves so like in 15 years when she does all this stuff and like she'll go down this path and they'll never be able to tell because they're going to develop the um the brainwave scanning and she's going to go and you know expose like this the, and they already at this point knew that people were getting people knew about the second foundation and were kind of relying on it too much uh, for just kind of being saved by them without, you know, developing themselves. And so it seemed kind of like a long plan. And I would guess like because of Beta's, I don't want to say historic, but like her her elevated stature because of the, you know, her her involvement with taking down the mule that they chose uh, Arcadia because the because uh, of the lineage there. And so like the, and also like um, Stetton also, it also fell into that too. Like they kind of, they probably predicted Stetton coming up and wanting to marry someone with a famous, uh, famous lineage to build the second empire off of Kelgen. So I think it all, it all worked for me. That's, that's how I took it anyway. I will accept that explanation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, let's talk about the, uh, the final couple chapters here and the, the whirlwind of plot twists. <laughs> and, you know, like we get the reveal from uh Homier that, Oh, it's there's no second foundation, and then Anthor says, "Oh, there is a second foundation, and it's it's on Calgan." And then Darrell says, "Oh no, actually, there, it's not on Calgan. It's on it's on Terminus." And then the second foundation goes, "Nah, there is a second foundation. It's it's on uh, Trantor." So it just reminded me of like one of those like murder mysteries, like an Agatha Christie story or something, where at the end of it, it's like this person's the murderer. Oh, you know this person's the murderer. You know that kind of thing. Um, so how, how did you how do you all think about the these chapters? I had no problem with the flitting back and forth. I just want to go on the record and say, like, I was completely on board with every switch. Every time that we were announced a new version of reality, I was searching back through the text to try and make it so and convincing myself, like, there never was a second foundation. It already passed. It's the same as the first foundation. Of course, it's on Calgan. And so I didn't mind um, walking through these different theories and landing on on Trantor. I know that that's probably not the popular opinion, but I thought it was just delightful because it was so short. Like it was, especially if you're holding the physical book in your hand, you're like, wait a minute, there's like only four pages left and I still don't know anything. And so I think like having that all compressed was really rewarding. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of earlier chapters of the same book. Yeah. <laughs> like these plot twists are not unfamiliar. Definitely. But I, I thought it was a little bit of comic relief, to be honest. It's it's campy for sure. It feels a little bit like, oh, it's these goofy guys in this room again coming, <laughs> you know, just sharing their theories and they're all wrong. Right. <laughs> and I yeah. I particularly felt like, oh, poor Homer Munn. Like he has been through the ringer and he comes back for one. But he's like life. a sad clown figure. Like, or supposed yeah. to. 
Yeah. But but think, think of this. Like okay. he he left. When he left, he was the opposite of Arcady. Like he had zero confidence. And then um he comes back with all this confidence that he never had before. And then immediately like he is shown how wrong he is. And then he's he's also like uh tied tied up and like restrained and he is <laughs> Like, he's like, how did I go from being like this guy who came back with all this confidence and thought thought that I knew what was going on? And then now, as it turns out, I have been manipulated and mm-hmm. I'm also not trusted. So I, yeah. I thought it was a little bit of a tragic arc for him, to be honest. Tragic but, comic, I think. Yeah, yeah tragic comic for sure. <laughs> I think the the only one I yeah the only one I didn't buy was the that there was no second foundation just because we've seen the second foundation before you know we we saw the second foundation take up a mule at the you know the beginning of the book and so like and and the fact that Homer came back with no stutter either um, that was also a big pretty big sign to me that like mm-hmm. something happened to him where he's like more confident uh, and so I would just I I kind of guessed that was the only one I I got was that um, that there was that that the theory that there was no second foundation wasn't true. Um, but the other ones, I was like, oh, Calgan. I guess that makes sense. I was like, oh, Terminus. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but I found it really enjoyable overall. Like, yeah, like I, I was, you know, enthralled. The same way, I, you know, like like Priya mentioned, like it's kind of a very similar pattern to um, the the uh, Pritchard, Chanis, Mule first speaker um, reveals at the, at the beginning of this book. It's, you know, kind of a very similar pattern. But I was, you know, just as enthralled reading it. I think very earlier on we had talked about like um, this this idea that like Asimov has written himself to, into a corner where um, Foundation always wins. That is sort of a feeling that kind of got dispelled for a little while um, when anomalies like the mule happened that kind of threw that into question. But once again, I started to get that feeling creeping up on me again um, in this section where it's like all roads lead to Trantor, all paths lead to the foundation winning. And it just feels a little bit at times a little bit like um, contrived and um, more so than my qualms regarding like anything feeling contrived is the fact that like I personally feel I, I guess this is like a discomfort I have around like uh stories that arrive at a certain predetermined outcome that kind of completely negates um human free will in the sense that like um I, once again I will reference uh a canticle for Leibowitz which is about like you know if you could redo all of like the history of humanity all over again would be would we arrive at the same outcome in a post-apocalyptic world like would we redo the apocalypse and whatever outcome we come upon um it is laid out in the form of like people having had free will at all times but that it's just in the nature of human human behavior and human uh uh, experience and just like there's that latent thinking hu- thing in humans that always leads us to a certain outcome so it, it feels like there is I, how should I say this I feel like I wanted there to be more complexity in terms of the question of human free will than what I found in a lot of the explanations I got out of this book if that makes sense I know that that's probably a very unpopular opinion but <laughs> 
I think there's a twist on it though that you know there is a predetermined outcome, but like that it's more of like a really far uh, a far out goal in that it's being the path to that goal is constantly being manipulated by the second foundation, right? It's not like a straight line like saying like it's not like in the beginning we thought the Selden plan they he laid it entirely out and like we know exactly what's gonna happen. Right. It's it's not that it's like he laid out however long, you know, before it started diverging. And then you have the second foundationers come in there and constantly manipulate events to keep it on track. Right. So it's not like everything is like predetermined. It's like someone's manipulating the situation to be the uh, the the ultimate predicted outcome, if that makes sense. So I, I think it's not it's not as uh, th- there's not as like devoid of free will in, in that regard, because and, and it's more like you're everyone's being controlled. So I guess there's lack of free will in that regard, but like it's not because it's predestination. It's because someone's controlling people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> to me, that seems like predetermination on an even higher level because there is mind control. But also I wonder, um, I don't know if you guys can shed some light on this because um, I could have just like glazed over this one reading. Um, is it clear that Harry Selden knew that like, second foundationers would have this ability to control minds because it seems that the anomaly of the mule being able to control minds was something that was completely far out but was it apparent or was harry selden's plan accounting for the fact that second foundationers would have this this ability so my theory is that selden himself had this ability and that he taught it to the second Ah. foundationers that's my that's my theory i like that too uh, and then that's why he kept his secret because he knew the power of it, right? And then he knew because he knew that his plan wasn't going to succeed, or it wasn't going to. He couldn't predict three thousand years in the future, right? It's like that's really hard to do with any kind of uh, certainty. And that's what it's, uh, everything was about, just like about certainty. So he knew like there there would need to be course corrections, and because he had this ability to control minds, um, that he you know he taught it to other people, and then you know set up the speakerhood and everything to uh, kind of. Uh, continue that throughout the throughout the plan to, to make sure that the plan does come fruition because the end of the plan is really for the mental scientists to take over for like to condition the entire galaxy to be ready for rule by mental scientists so uh seldom would have wanted to do that in the beginning because he had that ability himself and he thought he could he could do it but he like knew it wasn't the universe wasn't ready for it that's interesting we'll see how how wildly wrong that is <laughs> So let's just talk about uh, general thoughts of this book and the series. Uh, we finally finished up our our nine episode uh, arc of the entire Foundation trilogy. So just some overall impressions. Um, maybe let's talk about which is your favorite book or section of, of the book. I would say that if you, for some reason, I know there are some listeners like this who listen but haven't read, I really would recommend that you pick up the series. Um, it's more fulfilling and it lands much better uh, to read it yourself. And I would say that my favorite book is probably Foundation and Empire. And I do think that the twists are more satisfying than in the other books. And additionally, just how refreshing it is to get the really personable characters that we find in Beta and the interplay between the mule and his commanders um, scary and inspiring and interesting and funny. And I would definitely recommend that. 
And I think that probably wraps into my favorite character as well. I do really appreciate Beta, not just because of how interesting she is, but because interesting things happen around her. And it definitely pays off. How about you, Dan? So my, mine's kind of a cheat because it's like just the whole sections of the mule because it co- that covers two books, you know, that covers uh, the end of Foundation and Empire mm-hmm. and the beginning of, of this book. So like the whole mule arc is just great. Um, and so I, I, I hesitate to call the mule my favorite character, but I think he is uh, just because I'm the most interested in his character and like the things that he does um, and just like his kind of machinations to make it happen and like all of his planning to, to kind of uh, coordinate it and like that he's also, uh, I want to say hu- he's human, but like he also has these flaws, right? Like he has like this really elaborate plan he's in, in, that he's developed and it just falls down because he found some person that thought he wasn't a crazy, ugly mutant. And so like his whole plan falls apart from there. Uh, and then later on, like it seems like he's like, he has everything figured out to beat the second foundation, um, but ultimately he has no idea. And it's just over, it's this overconfidence that that's his downfall. So kind of like, the more realistic, I mean, realistic is kind of, again, the strong word, but like the more like humanizing characteristics of him where he's not just like a perfect being and, you know, has these flaws. This was super interesting. And yeah, the twists and like the interplay, uh, especially between him and uh, Chanis at the beginning of this book. Uh, and just the mule just like uh, being so dismissive and talking down to Chanis the entire time when he thinks he's in control. Uh, and just kind of toying with them, which is great. I've got to agree. Yeah, I agree with Dan um, that I similarly will cheat in my response uh, that I didn't so much have a favorite one book, but rather like sections of from within all the books that were kind of um, enjoyable to me, like like uh, the introduction in um, – the first book was very compelling to me, like the introduction to like psychohistory and Harry Seldon and the plan and Gail Dornick. That was all very interesting to me. And then of course the, the sections with the mule, um, I would have to say, I would have to agree with Talia that Beto was one of my favorite characters because she was so like, just always in the middle of the action um, and interesting things, like you said, happen around her. Speaking of the mule, I my one complaint is that they kind of did him dirty in the end by just kind of retiring him and yeah. say like there's uh one conversation which um someone went uh, was it between Stetton um and the other guy where he's like well what happened to the mule like what stopped the mule and the the, the other guy's like death stopped the mule like he just yeah, died does like, every yeah. man exactly like we are all gonna die and he just died and that's how he got stopped that was a little uh like i i wanted that character to do more i think that that character could have gone further um speaking of other characters that could have gone further let's talk about mama who is she and true yeah we never gave a name besides mama like presumably she's also a psychobiditioner right right because Later on, when you find out that, like, Papa is this, like, first speaker guy, like, who is Mama? Like, is she, like, just, like, an actor who is pretending to be this fake character of Papa's wife and she's just a random second foundationer? Like, and and, and where did this idea to call each other Mama and Papa come from? Like, who is their child? I have so many questions. Um <laughs> Or is it that they call themselves Mama and Papa to kind of win over um, 
this child's trust because like when they refer to themselves to each other that way like she can't help but um ascribe like paternal and maternal like feelings to them so um that's the only explanation in my mind that's not entirely goofy as to why they do that but it is kind of creepy <laughs> and who is their child if that is not the explanation for why they do this where is their child yeah to me it was more just like uh yeah maybe a way to win over arcady um but also just a way to kind of like lower themselves you know they're just like they're just simple farmers from a simple farming world of Trantor, right? Like they, you, you can imagine like they're, they're speaking in like, like a, like a really heavy accented uh, Trantorian accent and everyone kind of looks down on them as like, just like, they're just, like, they're just farmers. Right. And so like, uh, they just kind of speak in like this an affected way, like, the, like, you know, mom and papa and that's the, like, they call each other. And it's just like, I think it's just meant to put on like the, the appearance of them just being more simple than they actually are. It's like all just for appearances to not bring a suspicion on them that they actually are second auditioners to control the entire galaxy. <laughs> and it worked because I would have never suspected that like no. he was first speaker, maybe second foundationer, but not first speaker. Exactly. Um, the hokey play actually works. Yeah. But I, but I'm just saying that they should have maybe had a, second foundationer kid to play the role of an actual child that they have so they're not just calling each other mama and papa <laughs> for no reason um yeah it's a little what silly about, and um, creepy. <laughs> lord stetton's consort lady kellia i know that you were disappointed in her portrayal priya does she get any redemption arc in the last section she does, but Stetton doesn't. Like, well, she doesn't have so much of a problem, but like, she's <laughs> necessary to move the plan along. She's like the sleeper agent revealed as a second foundationer. Is that enough, or and, is that still not enough? And she's a martyr, right? Like her and and Anthor and right? all the and the other forty eight or so uh, people who are who volunteered to you know kind of die for the cause. Um, yeah. The, they played an even bigger role. Not, not to mention, like they they kind of manipulated events as the story happened. But um, yeah, they played a pretty big role. Did she die though? Because I there was a scene where Stetton was wondering why he didn't like crush her skull or something, which was very charming. Yeah. Um, so I got the sense that like he let her live because of some strategic thought that he couldn't even quite figure out like he's like oh there's some strategic reason why i've let her live but i can't quite put my finger on it so unless i totally misread that and that I think, ultimately no, she died that's definitely true but that was before they figured out that the second foundation was all around there and anthra i think as much gave her up saying there was like some agents all around so like i think they would have figured it out i i just in my head assumed that they rounded them all up and and put them into the this this moon concentration camp or whatever it was, uh, you know, which is, be, and, and especially because like, uh, Paul Ver calls them martyrs. Right. So, uh, that, that was my understanding of like, what, what was the ultimate fate of, of them? And so she, to me, like she died for, for the cause of the second foundation and the, the cause, ultimately the cause of the, the, the Selden plan. Yeah. It just seems really sad that like, that was her role to play, <laughs> to be like verbally abused constantly by this guy. Yeah. Um, but she was controlling them the whole time too, right? So, I mean, yeah, she possible. was really the one. In, she was really the one in control. <laughs> she just had to play mm-hmm. same as like same as as Pulver. Like they had to play like these simple farmers. She had, yeah. To, yeah, she had to play like this this 
dumb consort, you know? Fair. She was Paris Hilton of space. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great analysis. I appreciate that. (laughs) Finally, so the, you know, now that we're past these books, presumably that, you know, we're out of spoiler territory for the show. And I know Priya have already watched it. Uh, For me, I started watching a little bit. I watched like the first two or three episodes or so. And, you know, it wasn't as, it wasn't as bad as people will say, like, you know, the, the Reddit, Asim- the Asimov Reddit was, you know, horrible against it. Like every post on it, there was like how it's the worst show ever made or whatever. And like, it seemed pretty good. Like, obviously it kind of diverges from the, um, uh, from the plot. And, you know, there's some other interesting events, but I thought that cool, the stuff they added there was, was interesting. And so I, I'll put, I'll put a spoiler tag in here and we can talk a little bit about it. Like I said, I've only listened, I've only watched the first two or three episodes or so oh you tell you you haven't watched it though right no but i am totally willing to hear all the spoiler things because i'm ready to watch as well well i guess it won't be a spoiler it's it's like happened in the first episode right i think the the most interesting thing that i thought was the way they handled cleon and how like there's three clones of cleon and they can constantly move uh through time and i thought that was like a really interesting way to keep uh to, to, to keep the pace on the show right uh because like presumably like there's you know going to continually be like these three Cleons uh, that always rotate, you know, through the, um, through the ages. And again, I've only watched up to episode three or four. So I don't know if that does continue, but um, I thought that was an interesting thing. And, you know, there's a lot of, and I, I mentioned this to, to Priya the other day when I watched it the, in the first like couple minutes of the show, they mentioned the mule and I was like, oh man, the mule, it's awesome. And like, who knows when he's actually going to show up, but it's cool. They, they talk about, there's a lot of good names in there. Although none of the characters are, really who the characters of the books are like they're That's to be in- expected i think yeah it's it's more it's more like inspired by and um forgive the pun but they're basically taking the foundation of foundation and sort of just applying it to the show but the show is its own thing i think i, I think the the show is a standalone thing like the the books are a completely different experience and the show is like its own standalone experience. That's the way I see the show. So yeah, I don't, I, I, and um, going back to you bringing up the Cleons, um, Dan, uh, without spoiling that too much for Talia, I would say that that's one of my favorite things about the show. Not just because Lee Pace plays one of them. Um, it's that like, and of course he does a, an amazing job playing that sort of a character, but it's just that when I, because um, I saw the show before I got to the part um, where there is mention of a Cleon in the books, hmm. and I felt like seeing this crop up in the books, it it felt to me like such a missed opportunity to do more with such a character. That's something that like I I enjoyed those scenes the most in the show. Yeah, it's just a cool contract, right? Like it's an interesting like, kind of unique take on on um hereditary like leadership right and they're like they don't even trust people like their own line <laughs> like, like their sons or, or daughters later on to take over it has to be that person and so they just co- continually make clones of that person so it's a very interesting contract i thought and and the show actually reminds me more of the books than i thought it would because like you know i've heard you talk about it i've heard you know read it like harp on it that that's it's like it's not like the books at all but there's it's like really rooted in the books as far as i can tell like you know maybe it goes off the rails later on but you know the Overall premise is, is pretty similar, so it's definitely, if not inspired, it's, it's not an adaptation, that's for sure. But like, it definitely is like really, really heavily inspired by the books. So it it, it that that surprised me too. 
Right. I would say inspired is is about as far as we will go, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really hope you guys um, enjoy it because and I'm like really um, happy to hear that you are so far, Dan, because I, I think that a lot of the times when we whenever there's a an adaptation into a show or a movie, I notice that it always gets like very heavy criticism. And I think that Ultimately, what I look for in like a, a screen adaptation of a, of a written text is that like, are they doing the fundamental concepts that you're finding within the book justice? And then whatever creative licenses they take up like that are going off book, like off book as in like not found in the book are OK with me as long as they're like taking these ideas in an interesting direction. How about you, Talia? Are you going to watch it? Not that, not that the oh definitely I already wanted yeah. to and now I realize how much I've been missing out on so of course I'm going <laughs> to watch it yeah that's why I sort of just caved without putting up any resistance pretty much <laughs> I, I'll say I'm glad I didn't watch it until I finished the books because I would have been freaking out the entire time about being spoiled about whatever <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm really wait. glad yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I waited. It, it, it wasn't even that long after I finished reading it that I started watching it because we finished reading what, four weeks or more ago. So yeah, it, uh, unfortunately, the time constraints, I haven't had a chance to finish it, but but I will. All right. Well, do we have any final thoughts before we wrap up? Thank you for a great season. Yeah, thanks thanks uh, to Tali and Priya for, for joining me on this. It's been great to have you guys as full co-hosts for this season and hopefully many more in the future. Uh, and thanks to the audience for, for listening. Um, please check out rehydrate.space for release episodes, reading lists, and all the other stuff we put on there. And leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at failsmy.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. And stay tuned for what we will do next as we have not even decided ourselves. So <laughs> hope you'll listen in the future. And uh, thanks, everyone. <laughs>